2020 internationals against Pakistan. That's all the news from RTHK. The Education Bureau Study Subsidy Scheme for Designated Professions or Sectors will subsidize students admitted to designated self-financing programs. Starting from the 2023-24 academic year, the scheme is expanded to cover top-up degree programs for the first time, in addition to first-year first-degree programs and sub-degree programs. For more details, please search online for SSSDP and visit the designated website. Good morning and welcome to The Week on 3 with me, Noreen Mayer. It's really lovely to be back with you this Saturday and I've selected a whole bunch of great interviews that I think you'll enjoy. And in case you're interested or know anyone who's interested, Radio 3 is looking for new voices. So if you're a good storyteller or if you like helping others tell their story, then send in a one-minute recording of yourself telling us something interesting. You can find out more by visiting our Radio 3 homepage or email us at voice at rthk.hk. And you never know, we can end up being colleagues and even best friends. Sure. Well, on with this week's program. I've got sleep hygiene, celebrity chefs, international superstar music bands. But first, let's start with an interview that I did on Wednesday's brunch. I spoke to Jocelyn Cho, who's a lawyer specializing in divorce litigation and matrimonial law about prenups. Jocelyn starts by talking about the key things to consider and some of the possible advantages of drawing up a prenup. Well, first of all, definitely it avoids uncertainties uh, because you know for sure what's going to happen. And because it avoids uncertainties, so also the couples won't need to have to go through contested litigation, which is the prim my primary job <laughs> is to go to court and, and fight contested uh, divorce battles over money. Because they're so drawn out that, yeah. and they cost a lot as exactly. well. Exactly. The legal costs, the emotional um, tax, it's emotionally taxing the couples and it ultimately ruins the family. So I guess the biggest advantage is that it avoids people having to go to court to fight about how the finances should be arranged. Um, also, although some people would think this is uh, probably um, uh, a difficult thing to to open up with their uh, with their partner, but I think it's an advantage actually for couples to talk about finances before they get married. Um, although it's it is awkward, most it's people don't hard... want to talk about money, especially when you're going through the honeymoon period. You're planning a wedding, and it's romantic. You don't want to necessarily open up this topic. But my view is that in order for you to truly understand uh, who you're about to marry, it is sensible to talk about finances, understand what that person's views are, values are, even understand what their finances situation are like because what if they have accumulated a lot of debts that you don't know about or the reverse right so i think prenup actually opens up an opportunity for you to talk forces forces you to talk about finances which you normally wouldn't absolutely um uh, what about the the validity of prenups you know um are prenups valid and how do they hold up in the courts yeah well a lot of people um think that prenups are useless because um, they've heard that prenups would not be enforced in court. However, that's a misunderstanding. Prenups are not 100% binding in the sense that once you signed a prenup, you can't go to court and say, judge, 
don't need to consider anything, just adopt the terms of this prenup. The so judge, it's not like a will. No, it's not like- the judge still has the discretion. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the judge has to look at whether or not the terms of the prenup is fair, um, considering the facts, and then consider whether to enforce the prenup. In order for a prenup to um, have its most effect, there has to be four requirements that um, the parties need to go uh, ensure to do. First, uh, both of them needs to have independent legal advice. Uh, so one lawyer can't represent two parties. They have to have their own Separate opportunity point. to seek their um, legal advice. Second Can is... Can it be the same lawyer? Cannot. Okay, so yeah. two different lawyers. Yeah, sure. because sometimes you may not be that comfortable raising questions to the lawyer with when um, your uh, partner is there. And also the lawyer can only represent a person's interest rather than two but at the same time. Sure. It would be a conflict. Um, secondly, the prenup has to be signed uh, fairly early. So um, the consensus is about 28 days before the actual wedding so that there's no argument that there's pressure for you to sign. Because if you've sent out wedding invitations, booked the venue, etc., then it, it would be quite difficult for the person to say to no. I, yeah, 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 exactly. So there must not be any like pressure, undue influence, that sort of thing. Or duress, yes. Yeah. Um, thirdly, there should be financial disclosure. This is something which a lot of people um, have difficulty uh, accepting because they might not want to let the other person know what their financial situation is like. But if you don't disclose your finances, be it your assets and your income, then when the time comes, unfortunately, you have to divorce, the other person can say, well, I didn't know at that time that I'm signing away so much of my rights. I didn't know you have that amount of wealth. And therefore, I don't want to adopt the terms of the prenup. So it's actually to the person's interest to disclose as much as possible what he or she has. Um, And the fourth and final uh, requirement is that the terms of the prenup must be fair. So it can't be a situation where one party will be left with nothing to um, cover their needs. The court wants to make sure that at least the person's baseline needs are met. Okay. How do you prove that, you know, these assets were not disclosed? It's difficult to prove because they might say, well, I told you at the start, I've got 80 properties here. But then the other person could just say, well, you only told me one property. So how do you then go exactly. about that? Which is why it's um, we would have a schedule in the prenuptial agreement listing out all the assets. So there's no ambiguity about what your understanding was ah, at the time. So it's all very black and white. Yeah. Okay. Can, can you then, Jocelyn, uh, override a prenup? Can, can, can it be overturned? Um, yes. The court can choose not to adopt if you don't satisfy either of what I just uh, mentioned, the requi- the basic requirements for a prenuptial to have effect. Um, obviously, if the couple, I have a case where the couple signed a prenup and later on they signed a postnup saying they don't want to <laughs> yeah, go forward with what they agreed Agree uh, previously because at that time they were forced by their pa- respective parents to sign it and they don't, <laughs> oh. afterwards they don't really want to do that anymore. So it can be done if um, it's voluntary between the both parties. Do they then have to inform the parents who were involved in the first step? No, because it's between... Yeah, it's between the two of them. It's a contract between the two of them. The parents actually um, have no place. Yeah, okay. Um, Now, I know when we talk about prenups, it's usually the assets and the financial uh, things, but can children or child custody uh, be part of the prenup? Is it common for people to include that sort of information? Uh, Good question. Usually... uh, people would want to include, but actually you can't really dictate or um, sign a contract on what would happen to the children's custody. First of all, 
the children usually are not born yet. <laughs> so it's hard to uh, determine what would happen to people like a child who is not born. Secondly, the court's paramount consideration is the children's um, best interest and their welfare. So even if the couple themselves uh, signed something back five, ten years ago, and right now it's not to the child's best interest to adopt it, the court will just ignore it. Um, so the contract does not take priority. It's the ch children's paramount interest. And that's why um, it's quite pointless to, to say now what the child's custody would be. Um, but the couple, if they intend to have children, they should specify it in the contract, in the prenup, because um, for prenuptial contracts, sometimes when there is a significant ch change in circumstance, it can also mean that it shouldn't be um, enforced. For instance, if the couple did not envisage having a children, they envisage that they're going to both carry on with their work for um, the duration of marriage, and then one of them, maybe the mother, decides to sacrifice her job and have children, be a homemaker. Now, that would change the initial intention of the prenup. And also, if it comes to um, the time of divorce, it may not be fair for the mother who has sacrificed her career to not share in anything. So if you do intend to have children, then you should specify in the prenup that there is this uh, possibility so that, again, there's no ambiguity that, oh, this was not what we um, envisaged at the time of signing. Okay, so even though it may not be valid, but it's just good to have it written down and have it sort of there in case you need to revisit again mm. at, a, at a later time. Um, what if somebody leaves Hong Kong, say you're in a marriage and then you drop a prenup and then yeah, things go wrong, turn, uh, turn south, and, and somebody leaves Hong Kong, will that prenup still be sort of valid or how? How, how might it work? Yeah, usually we would ask the couple if they have any intention of relocating in the near future, because if they um, intend to relocate somewhere else, we would suggest that they have um, a lawyer from that jurisdiction also check out the prenup, because um, the uh, where the prenup would be used would be where the couple eventually uh, divorce, and where they would divorce would be where they physically reside when the time comes. So even if they sign a prenup in Hong Kong, for instance, and then they move to the US and then lift the majority of their marriage over there in the US and they divorce there, then you need to make sure that that prenup is also valid in the US. So it may be that we work with lawyers in different jurisdictions, Singapore, US, Australia, just to ensure that this prenup that you're signing is valid in all of those jurisdictions. Mm. And also there would be a clause usually in the prenup to say that if we were to relocate, then we would seek advice in that jurisdiction and sign another postnup in that jurisdiction. Again, for that double uh, lock effect. And that was Jocelyn Cho, a lawyer specializing in divorce litigation about prenups on Wednesday's brunch. Now, for those of you who've just woken up and tuning into this week's Week on 3, welcome, and I hope you had a good night's rest. Now, we often hear that good sleep is essential for maintaining our baseline mental health, as one night of sleep deprivation can dramatically affect our mood the next day. So on Monday's Backchat, the Backchat team looked back at World Sleep Day, which was on Sunday the 17th of March, and hosts Jim Gould and Mike Rouse spoke with some of the sleep experts on this hot topic. Jim starts by asking Dr. Rachel Chan, who's an assistant professor from the Department of Psychiatry from the Chinese University of Hong Kong, about the effects of insufficient sleep on our mental health. 
There are actually there are many evidence showing that there is a close link between sleep duration and also the sleep quality with poor mental health. So for people who have a poor sleep, their risk of having depression or anxiety or uh, other mental health problems is one to two times higher than those who have a, a adequate sleep. If a if the problem of not sleeping enough, enough hours, is so prevalent. Should we be? Is there any medication that we should be looking at across society? I mean, I'm not saying we should drug everybody and make them all sleep for ten hours, but if it's such a serious problem, are we doing enough? Yeah. So perhaps I can take this question. Huh? <clears throat> yes. Go ahead, please. Um, yeah. Yes. So. Um, I do agree that the sleeping problem is a common issue, especially in Hong Kong. So we have to dissect this question in uh, different aspects. So one is we talk about there is not enough uh, sleep duration, and the other is about the sleep quality. So I think one very prevalent uh, sleep problem in Hong Kong is insomnia. So we believe that it may be one in ten people in Hong Kong is having some sort of uh, insomnia complaint. And, and instead of uh, prescribing appeals to everyone, so we will advocate uh, good sleep behavior, so what we call sleep hygiene, as well as the early seeking of non-pharmacological treatment, which could be very effective for insomnia. Right. What's, what's sleep hygiene? Tell us more about yes. that. Sure. So uh, for the sleep hygiene, what we want to say is to maintain good habits about sleep and to remove all the bad habits about it. So the first important would be try to maintain a regular sleep break schedule to go to bed and get up at the same time every day, including the weekends. So being consistent will help to reinforce your body's biological clock and the sleep wake cycle. And second is to keep a sleep-friendly environment. I know it's not easy in Hong Kong, but we try to keep the room cool, dark and quiet. And if it is inevitable, so consider using a room darkening shades or earplugs, etc., to just to help you to have a good sleep. And third, it's the most related to modern people, that is to limit the evening light exposure. So I know many of us are using cell phones just before the hours we, we go to bed. And now we know that exposure to light in the evening will make it more difficult to fall asleep. So partly because the boot light itself will suppress melatonin, so which is a very important hormone to prepare ourselves for sleep. And fourth would be to do some exercise. So uh, this would also be important to um, maintain a general good health and also to enhance the sleep quality. Should we be watching TV just before we go to sleep or should we switch off <laughs> half an hour before we go to bed? So our general recommendation is to stop using our uh, electronic device for two hours before bedtime. Whoa! So, and, uh, yeah, so it's not an easy thing, so giving in a modern society. I was going to say, most people, the last thing you do before they turn off the light is check if there's yeah. any WhatsApp messages. Yeah, so we are often thinking about, let me check the one last time. Yep before bed and um, and all these are contributing to the sleep last night and uh, the further delay of the sleep and the inadequate sleep which maintains this 
negative cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about for people who have to work shifts, um, um, especially night shifts, uh, mm. so working throughout the night and then trying to sleep in the daytime, which can be mm. difficult. Um, uh, yeah. Would you have any advice for those people? Yeah. So shift work had always caused a lot of problems to sleep because we used to be a diurnal animal. That is, we are... So humans should be active in daytime and sleepy at night. So the change, especially with the irregular shift or night shift, will inevitably affect the sleep quality and as well as the duration. So for shift workers, in general, they are sleeping at least one hour less than those who are working a regular day shift. So uh, our recommendation for those who are working night shift is to try to avoid the bright light after work. So say after a long night shift, we'll recommend them to wear a sunglasses and then uh, to reduce the light exposure. So mm-hmm. that is to help the body to to maybe give a signal that is, uh, give less a signal that is daytime. So at home, try to maintain a very dark environment to help them to get more sleep. That was Monday's Back Chat on Sleep. You can revisit and tune in again to any of our programs because they're all available on the archives and some are even available on podcasts and a few shows are now available on Spotify. Hooray! Now, if you like Spotify for the music, you're also going to like the next bit of today's week on three as Ali Howe takes us backstage in this week's Common Room and she talks to LA-based indie pop jewel Fly By Midnight about their music and how much they love Hong Kong. It feels like a fever dream because what what did we say it was seven years ago? Yeah, I think we were in our early 20s and um, we had a night out in Hong Kong. We were at Shenzhen at the time. We were doing a performance over there and we all, the group we were with all went over to Hong Kong and had a night out and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was was beautiful. It was one of those sort of things like Slavo said, like early on in our career, we had just started off and getting that opportunity was, uh, you know, just a couple of guys from Florida and New York and America going there which is a surreal thing and, and very enlightening. So Brilliant. I'm so happy to hear that. I would imagine for a New Yorker, it might not be that much of a culture shock, but for somebody from Florida. Yes. I mean, well, at the time, too, I had just moved. I was probably there for a couple of years and I had been there growing up. But there is a lot of uh, similarities. I remember thinking there's a lot of uh, like the buildings and everything in Hong Kong. Are, there's like so much going on. You wouldn't think that. I don't know. But being from America, you know, you don't really yeah. know what's going on. But, but Kong, it, so. it was it was an extremely rewarding trip and sort of inspired us to you know, take more notice of our fans all over the world. So Fantastic. We can't wait to have you back. Is there any chance that's happening anytime soon? Gosh, we'd love to. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, I, I feel like that's what we're building again, you know, having these sort of conversations. And it's it's so, um, you know, we don't take for granted that a lot of our fans are, you know, in Hong Kong and are in different parts of the world in general outside of America. And uh, I think it's only a matter of time. I'll be honest and say that we've been pushing our team for a long time to try to make this happen. And I wish it was a lot, you know, I wish it was simple like it is in America that we could just go perform a show. Um, But we will, hopefully. Yes, fingers crossed. We can't wait to have you back. Now let's talk about your music. I've been loving the new music. I mean, over the last couple of years, we've already seen how you guys progress and grew as a band as well. Tell us about the latest release that you guys have. So Why My Love is uh, off our new album, Fictional Illustrations, which is out next week. Um, But uh, yeah, that song is, I think, a really cool one for us just because 
I don't know, we're inspired by so many different sounds and I know that one in particular we we pulled from you were saying new radicals and yeah, just, Sugar Ray and just oh, like a Sugar very yeah. that, that was the that was the other reference. Very yeah, like yeah. I mean we grew up in the nineties. I'm I was born in ninety four, you were born in what, ninety two, ninety three? Yeah. And uh so uh, we grew up with that whole like early two thousands ninety sound and, and any way we can incorporate that into our music, we kinda we we take the advantage of that uh, chance anytime we get. So that was kind of this song, you know, it gave that vibe, that nineties aesthetic and I think when we play it live on tour, because we're doing an American tour coming up in April, it's going to probably be one of my favorites live. I agree. And and to your point, very kind words about how we've grown. It, it is cool, too, because we've grown not only as artists, but we've also grown as like best friends and brothers. And, and it's sort of writing this record has been um, just like a reaffirmation of, of how well we work together. And uh, this sort of that song came together very quickly, as many of these songs did on the album. And and it's just a. Uh, yeah, I'm just so excited for the album. I'm so excited for people to hear um, th this music. And every day, we're we're you know we're finding new fans all over the world. So it's it's very cool. Amazing. You had me at Sugar Ray there because I'm basically in the same era. I'm just like bring back that every morning vibe, guys. Yes, yeah, so uh, good. I love it. They did a lot of cool stuff with their music. We were listening when we were when we were making that song. Because honestly, cool to Slavo's point too, we're music fans first and foremost. You know. Yeah. And I feel like some artists don't like to admit that they're listening to other music to get inspiration. But of course, that's all. That's part of the process. You pull from all sorts of movies, TV, music. Um, and uh, yeah, we were very deep in in that sort of era. And it was very nostalgic, I think, to listen back to that. Yeah. Amazing. Talk about sing-alongs. There are potential sing-along songs, I'm imagining, from the album. For sure. Yeah, there's. Yeah. We, we have a couple of new ones coming um, that I, I think are, I think we're doing stuff that we haven't done before, which is so exciting, really stretching ourselves and um, we have a song that you were saying before is very reminiscent of, you know, Fleetwood Mac. Um, and, I, and I think that sort of groove, we've loved Fleetwood for a very long time, but it was, uh, we, we wrote it with an amazing songwriter. Her name is Leah Haywood, and um, she's an Australian writer. And uh, we were just so grateful to have her time because she's worked on very big songs. And um, she, she was excited about our project, which was like a very mm -hmm. cool way to start off a session. But we're like, oh, you're excited to work with us. I guess we're doing something right. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, tell us about Fly By Midnight. I mean, we all know where you are right now, which is very exciting. I can't wait to hear the entire album. But take us back the, to the very beginning. Do you remember the first time that you guys met each other? Like, what's the first impression like? The first time we met each other, I mean, it feels like uh, we were two completely different people. I mean, uh, Justin was doing a solo project. I didn't even have any inclination or like any interest in doing any kind of artist project. So I was like more producer songwriter in that world. And um, the studio we were working out of together, they kind of said, Hey, why don't you guys try to write together? And we did. And it turned into a fly by midnight. It's kind of naturally. It's so cool because uh, I remember when I, I very vividly remember when I, I kind of asked Slavo to start this project. Right. And uh, for me, I, I like Slavo said, he never sort of, knew what he was getting into, I suppose. And uh, I had an idea that if this were to work, we were going to be spending virtually every day of our life uh, together. And uh, I'm just so grateful that it's with a guy that's, you know, genuinely a brother of mine now. And um, and his wife is like my my best friend and my fiance and her are, are close. And it's just like, Aww. it's such a cool thing to think, you know, like <clears throat> I could have ended up, you know, proposing Fly By Midnight to someone that I didn't get along with personally. And, and I feel like uh, I'm just really lucky that and very grateful that we, we gelled, like you said, in the first writing session that we were put in together, we sort of walked out of that 
and um, Slavo being very humble, said, oh, you know, um, can I record a harmony on what you recorded on? And I said, sure. And, and I had no idea that he sang. And uh, when I heard his voice, I was like, whoa, dude, this is, this is definitely it something. It was like the stepbrothers moment, you know, yeah. when he sang. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, was, I was very inspired. And uh, frankly, it, it's a lonely journey. I have a lot of admiration for solo acts. Um, and it's so, it's, it's very cool, very cool to be in a duo. And that was Fly By Midnight, talking with Alison Howe on this week's Common Room. Right, it's all glitz and glamour on this week's Week on 3, from celebrity pop bands to celebrity chefs. On this week's Tuesday report, Andrew Dembina caught up with Indian celebrity chef Sanjeev Kapoor, who has a long-running TV show and also a 24-hour Hindi-language TV channel called Food Food. So uh, I started Khana Khazana when uh, cable and satellite TV started in India and uh, I did that non-stop for 19 years on one channel. Post that I started my own uh, TV station and I continue to do that. Uh, the TV channel is called Food Food and I continue to do that uh, for Food Food. So in some sense uh, it's been going on since uh, 1993. It's almost 30 years now. So, having launched these media platforms, how much time do you have to maintain your restaurants? So, uh, I think uh, managing does not uh, mean that uh, you have to be there everywhere. It's the team uh, that you uh, need to train mm. well, you need to hire good people and that's what I do. A restaurant is one of the businesses uh, that we have. Uh, we have television station, we have a company on uh, cookware, uh, kitchen appliances, glassware, uh, homeware. We have content company, production company. So, so I still have time. Uh, and if I'm here uh, visiting for a long period of time, which is three and a half days, which is long mm. for me, that means I have loads of time. Well, okay. That's really positive that you can get stuck into all of those elements. Before I ask you about how you would describe your cuisine, uh, your signature style, and what are your signature dishes, I notice in your social media that you are focusing quite a lot on vegetarian dishes and also the nutritious properties of vegetarian elements such as grains and so on. Um, are you a vegetarian yourself? So I say this, that I'm a vegetarian at heart, which means I eat everything, uh, but I prefer to eat vegetarian. Uh, and uh, India largely, I would say, if uh, there's one uh, country uh, where uh, uh, you should be born a vegetarian, it, there's so much variety that we have in India uh, with vegetarian food. I would say last 15 years, my focus has been on the healthier food and whatever. I think uh, you cannot separate uh, health from uh, taste gone are the days that uh, as chefs uh, you could focus only on taste and get away with it i think it's a social responsibility that all chefs have so it, it is uh, healthy and uh, once you're an influencer i think it's uh, even more important that you uh, start focusing on the healthier food so this year is uh, united nations uh, year of millets uh, so we are doing lots of uh, work on millets yeah. uh, that, that's what uh, we are working with and in terms of my signature style i would say that what i do on tv what i do mm. in restaurants what kind of uh, brand that we are working on 
these are businesses uh, and when you are looking at businesses it's who is it for that business uh, who you are catering for so your signature changes it's yeah. not something that uh, you can say that something that's cheap and cheerful and something that's luxury would be same uh, style that i can have and that was sanjeev kapoor chatting with andrew dembina on tuesday's brunch and alas the time has come to say goodbye so let me leave you with some good old fashioned music entertainment here's steve james tuesday's afternoon drive i hope you have a lovely weekend and i'll be back next week bye for now oh the factories may be roaring With the English musician, singer, songwriter Roger Hodgson, known as the former co-frontman with Supertramp, he composed and sang the majority of their hits, such as Take the Long Way Home, The Logical Song, It's Raining Again, Dream, Give a Little Bit, and Breakfast in America. There's not a lot